And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, and welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast. Brought to you by The Athletic. Joining me this week are the writers of The Athletic, Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Good morning. Morning, Ian. Hello. Morning. I say good morning. Uh, January can do one, can't it? As our players head off for their well-deserved and much-needed sunshine break, we'll talk about the frustrating draw at home to Burnley, our lack of goals and our striking options. Later in the show, we'll be chatting to Flo Lloyd-Hughes about Arsenal women, who also drew yesterday. But before we do that... We couldn't help but notice that our bench for yesterday's men's game was a little light on experience. It contained, amongst others, Ryan Alebiosu, who's 20, and two 18-year-olds in Charlie Patino and Mika Beerus. Now, I'm not saying they don't show tremendous promise, but one could see the issue when our first 11 were tiring late in the game. So the question is, which Arsenal player, past or present, would you have liked to bring off the bench to change the game yesterday? Um possibly one of our loan players, uh, loaned out players, Amy, do you think? Or, I mean, I'm talking about Ainsley Maitland-Niles here, but, you know, you can go with who you want. <laughs> well, if you're talking about both past and present, two slightly different things. I think present, I would have put Amari Hutchinson on because he has been um, in outstanding form uh, in the junior levels and hasn't yet had a, a, a look in, but I think has... I'd be interested to see how he could fare in the first team, and I, and and under the circumstances, sort of sticking uh, Eddie on and the sort of left side of midfield attacky role, um, unsurprisingly, wasn't massively effective. Uh, I think people know what they're going to get from that now, especially when he's not playing, you know, in his favoured sort of fox in the box role. So yeah, that would have been my present. Uh, choice and from the past I think probably looking no further than Arsenal's record goal scorer given the need for goals someone who could do it all on his own if he needed to so I'd probably go for peak Thierry Henry under the circumstances yeah that's fair enough uh James what about you well present I think you could probably make quite a good case for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who <laughs> is technically still an Arsenal player and would have been quite useful in some respects but I, I, my mind kept going I have to say uh, and not for the first time in the last couple of years to Olivier Giroud partly because of the way in which Arsenal were playing they slung a lot of crosses into the opposition box without anyone who could realistically get ahead on them uh, and I think having someone with that kind of aerial ability would have at least suited the, the manner in which we were attempting to create chances for a lot of the games. So probably Olivier Giroud. What about you, Ian? Um, well, my first thought was Patrick Vieira, really, just to, to, to give a little bit of help to um, Sambi Laconga, who, you know, he's, he's used to and would like a partner next to him, really, as opposed to a couple of players either side of him. But yeah, a goal scorer, righty. Someone who could score goals. But you know what? Oh, anyway, we'll get to it. 
in a minute as to uh, what happened. By the way, you can read Amy's reaction to the Burnley draw uh, as well as James' uh, piece about one of our strikers, uh, if he is still one of our strikers by the time you listen to this, um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, as well as all other Arsenal content by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod, where you can get yourself a third off, off a subscription if you're not already a subscriber. I don't like excuses. Arsenal nil, Burnley nil. Two points dropped. Slightly disappointing when you see United uh, win at the weekend with a last-minute uh, winner. I mean, I do mean a last-minute winner as well. James, I'll start with you. This lack of goals. We failed to score in four consecutive matches in all competition for the first time since December 2005. Um, that period in the second half when it was all building up and building up and the crowd were getting into it and then we created that chance for Alexandra Lacazette by a brilliant bit of football by Emile Smith-Rowe and he put it wide and it felt like a balloon deflating, didn't it? And you just sort of felt after that, I don't think it's going to go our way. No, I think that's absolutely right. I think there was a period in this game where Arsenal could and should have won it. There were three moments really there was the Odegaard free kick that just landed on the top of the net and then I think shortly after that Odegaard's corner for Smith Rowe which was brilliantly saved on the line by Pope and then Smith Rowe who in the second half seemed on a one-man mission to try and drag Arsenal over the line got to the line pulled it back for Lacazette and it flashed wide and at that point it really felt that the momentum was with Arsenal and had they got one of those chances they would have been okay I think we touched on this for the opening question about the bench, but I do think a key issue for Arsenal here was being unable to sustain or even increase the momentum by bringing experienced, reliable players off the bench. It's interesting that you know in the last week or so, two of our rivals for the top four, United and Spurs, have both got late, late, late winners. But when you look at the players that they brought on, in the late stages of games to help them get over the line. They're looking at senior internationals, you know, so United beat West Ham 1-0 and off the bench they had Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford and Edison Cavani. Uh, And Spurs, you know, they brought on Bergwijn, who's had his critics, but ultimately was the guy who scored two goals, turned it around. I think they brought on Lo Celso, who they spent 50 million quid or more on or something crazy like that. When you looked at our bench... I agree, Amari Hutchison would have been an exciting choice. But in terms of first-team experience, it was basically Callum Chambers, Nuno Tavares and Eddie Nketiah. And I, and I think this was the day where Mikel Arteta really kind of ran out of options, where he did not have enough to turn to. I think so often in these games where you're dominant, where you're pressuring a team, where you know, you're know you looking to create the chances, it is those people who come on with 20 minutes to go, half an hour to go, who, who eventually find the breakthrough, who just have the freshness to wear the opposition down. And it just felt like Arsenal were missing that. And I think that was sort of their downfall, really, on the day. Amy, you were on the um, discussion board after the game with The Athletic, is that right? And um, I was wondering what the fan feeling was, because I felt there was frustration. I know, I mean, Abby, is, Abby our producer, has put here that, that some people booed after the game. I didn't hear that. I think there was a lot of booing for the referee for possibly not giving Westwood two yellow cards. Um, uh, and there was quite a lot of booing for, for Pope for wasting time. But I didn't hear boos for Arsenal. I think that people have retained some faith in the team. They just know that, that yesterday was a little bit frustrating. What's the mood out there? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I 
not sure I agree with. I heard quite a lot of booing, which I was a little bit surprised about. Now, whether you're sure that that was reserved for the ref or Nick Pope, I, I, you know, it was literally as soon as the whistle went that there, you know, there seemed to be quite a, a swell of booing. And I mean, I certainly couldn't be sure to say what inspired that booing. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know on that one. Um, Abby said, Abby said, by the way, that she read it in the BBC Match Report. So I guess the booing, maybe the booing came from the press <laughs> area. <laughs> I, I have to be honest, I heard a lot of booing as well. Did you? Okay, yeah, I but I, I couldn't tell you what it was at. Uh, um, Stony, Stony, I think you you know those things that you can clean your ears out with those <laughs> little cotton bud things. That's what you, I need. You should go down the shop before yeah, the next game I, and grab me- some. Maybe my natural optimism is stopping me hearing the booing at the moment. No, that can't be booing, not for this team. You've got so selective anyway, hearing, mate. I'm a guess it. Well, my grandmother, my grandmother had it beautifully. So you know. Um, so all right, then there were there. It's a little unfair, isn't it? Really, don't you think? I think. Booing? I think again. I think it's very hard to. Um, analyze unless you speak to sort of the several hundred or more or whatever it was people who booed and said why were you booing it's hard to detect they could have just been booing their frustration that it was a nil-nil against Burnley in general that was sort of my my sentiment on it I didn't feel they were um rejecting the efforts of the players because I think actually the players put an awful lot into it they did look very tired and weary and a little bit mentally uh shot which I think didn't help. and I, But I think most people recognise that the players out there who are as the ones who are the most fit and most experienced in general gave it their best and have been giving it their best, even if it isn't good enough. Maybe some of the negativity is pointed a bit towards the manager because he's in a, he's in a period where there's, you know, there's decisions that have contributed to, you know, the, the, the thinness of the squad. Uh, you could argue that, Obviously, the the Aubameyang scenario and the fact that it's broken down sort of so completely was there another way of dealing with uh, this this situation that wasn't quite so extreme? We don't know. We haven't got that insider detail. But the reality of it is that Aubameyang, who's the most expensive, least salary player on the on the team, is is not involved. Um, it's not ideal, and you know. In terms of people that have got gone and left on loan, obviously Maitland-Niles is an obvious one because of the problems in central midfield and cover at right back where he would have been perfect to probably play just about every minute in January. But again, he's probably not a match winner. It probably helps the team. So uh, I don't know. I think there's a whole just a whole generic bunch of things. It, you know, January's been sort of one little uh, hit in the solar plexus after another. You know, you feel like a boxer that's taking a few punches in January. That's what Arsenal feel like. Nothing really has gone for them. And a bit like James, I mean, there was a period in the game yesterday, uh, in fact, because I was making notes, it was 65 minutes and I made a note about this, that it suddenly, it felt like someone just suddenly turned the volume up, just whacked mm. it up. And I'm not quite, there wasn't a specific thing that I didn't hear it. that. <laughs> oh, well, I, it's really obvious to me. It was like suddenly the whole crowd was like, come on, you know, and just raised the intensity level in terms of the atmosphere. And the players responded. And I think that was around about that period James was mentioning where there was a series of, of close chances. And it was one of those moments where it felt like it was coming. And I almost made the note as if to say, 
something was happening and boom, here it comes. Here was the goal and that like collectively Arsenal got themselves over the line because it felt like everyone in the ground was willing that breakthrough. But it didn't, ha- it didn't come. And that's, I think, when the frustration set in. But I think that, it, you know, the judgment on everything that's been going on, we say this a lot, but it, it still feels to me a little bit like judge, me, judge us in May territory in the sense that if all these decisions, like when Aubameyang was first out the team, Arsenal were winning every game and, you know, scoring bags of goals. And it didn't feel like it had such a huge impact on the team as you might expect. Now you're feeling it more. Everybody knew that, you, you know, was thinking, why couldn't Arsenal have got it, got themselves together in January to get a reinforcements up front and in midfield, which was the glaring holes in the team that needed help? Obviously, they couldn't. And it's, it's been a big sort of sufferance collectively since then. So the proof is going to be on the final day of the season when we look at the league table. And if this has been a pretty painful blip, but the second half of the season goes well enough that Arsenal qualify for Europe, I think uh, Arteta and the team will be able to look back and uh, a, a kind of really challenging season, but having the rewards. If not, it's going to be a lot more difficult. Things will be micro-analysed and there'll be a lot of what-ifs. James? I was just going to say that January's been quite a strange month, really, because although there have been a lot of body blows, there have also been things that were quite encouraging. I mean, the performance against Manchester City, Arsenal lost that game, but I think people took a lot of heart from it. Similarly, the first leg against Liverpool, which ultimately came to nothing, but I think the organisation and commitment they showed in that 0-0 draw. And as much as the results across the month have been disappointing, we've only played two Premier League games And you'd have to say we've probably only dropped two points that you would expect us to take. You know, we we lost to Man City. Well, that's kind of par for the course over the last few years. Yes, we should have beaten Burnley, but it's only two points there. So I think Arsenal can absolutely recover from this period. And they're still, as the league table shows, very much in it when it comes to the European places and even the top four. It's just, it's been quite a bruising few weeks and... I have to say, I think the break comes at a very opportune moment. My sense is that the players and the staff all feel like they will benefit from a period of rest, a period of respite. And I think you could see a bit of that, not just in the sort of the the look of the the team sheet yesterday, but in the, in the performance too. Yeah, James, one more thing. Um, I think we all agree that a striker is sort of a must really in this transfer window would you take a warm weather break over a striker at this point um <laughs> well I, i've never really thought of those as mutually exclusive but <laughs> they're not they're not i'm just putting it out there that uh, i think we need a, a striker surely is the number one priority i mean it was i mean we have not scored a goal in i don't know how long about 600 minutes of football we just can't get the ball into the net and we all understand if we could have done that one time yesterday and that was that moment with Lacazette you know I obviously I'd love us to have a two-week two-week holiday and recharge the batteries and all these tired limbs and injuries and all the rest of it but if we come back without a striker are we not in the same position we got to play Wolves away they don't give away many chances by the way uh in a couple of weeks no. time 
without with with Lacazette and 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 uh, Eddie on the bench and n- no doubt no rapprochement uh, with uh, with Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, we're still in the same position. Listen, I I think both things are important <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, I, 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 well, I, I, I do mean that because yeah. if, if there's anything that gives me hope of a rapprochement, and it's a quite a slim hope to be honest, it might be this period of layoff. I mean, it might provide some sort of cooling off opportunity with a Bamiang. I think if it doesn't, then absolutely Arsenal need a new centre forward. I just can't see a way they can go forward without a new signing or a Bamiang able to to play for them. Um, the task feels too great without. So yeah, I think I think they're of real importance. Amy, I think the most uh, interesting moment in the press conference after the game yesterday was when somebody asked if uh, Aubameyang would be joining the group um, in Dubai, and there was a little bit of a pause, and everybody expectantly looked at Mikel Arteta, and he went, "I don't know," which was <laughs> suitably mm. cryptic. But um, I suspect the answer probably is no, but without wanting a stink, but uh, he didn't completely close the door. Um, just, Ian, just to throw a question at you, because, you know, that question was great for James. Would you rather have a cup of coffee or a haircut? <laughs> well, uh, right now, a haircut is a must, okay? But, yeah. I, but I'm but i also still a little bit waking up, so uh, a cup of coffee. <laughs> I understand that those two things are completely different, and I know they need a rest. Of course they need a rest, but they also... So desperately need a striker. Oh, one question, by the way, about Eddie Nketiah. Um, You know, when he came on against Everton, and I thought he made some chances, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang should have scored that goal against Everton a few months ago when we lost that game. And Eddie actually got a bit of abuse for missing a great chance, but he also made a couple of chances, playing in sort of the same position that he was brought on to play in yesterday. But I've seen various people say that it was a mistake taking Emil Smith-Rowe off. Um, do you agree with that, Amy? Uh, I felt that he was the one who had that fizz and determination that looked like he might make it happen, whether it was for himself or someone else. He didn't look like he was struggling for energy. You know, we, we're not privy to the, the stats. Um, it was probably premeditated that he would do seven, 75 minutes physically. Maybe that was all they felt he could do and they didn't want him to... To, to get into trouble and aggravate any injuries. But I was disappointed when his his number came up on the board Yeah, because uh, he has that kind of high-energy way of going forward so quickly, not just with his, with his feet, but with his turns and his changes of direction and his bursts. And I think it just gave Burnley something to think about because otherwise the majority of our game as you mentioned before was getting the ball out to Saka or Martinelli and hooking it across to the apparition of Olivier Giroud which didn't seem like a particularly sensible tactic in fact quite late on in the game you could see that Gabriel came up to sort of play some kind of inside right position <laughs> for the kids for the kids listening inside right I guess it's number eight isn't it really I guess it would be <laughs> well I don't know but it was he was sort of ahead of Ben White and uh, yeah. he was like I think you know the idea was to get his size up close to the box but it didn't really you know it may, may have been better off to just put him at centre forward in that kind of old school 
the Olivier Dublin Giroud. sort of scenario. <laughs> mm. Olivier Giroud, I, it did seem a little strange uh, slinging in crosses onto the heads of one of the eight massive Burnley players waiting there, by the way. Um, and as Abby, our producer, was pointing out, the apparition of Olivier Giroud is a good band name. I was thinking of a more of an art house movie, to be honest with you. But uh, uh, James, you want to say something before we move on? Just on Smith Rowe, yeah. Listen, I thought he was in the second half, looked the man most like to make it happen. But I do think it tells its own little story about the way in which Arsenal's squad has suddenly become very shallow. Because before Christmas, we were kind of luxuriating in the fact that at 70 minutes, it was Smith Rowe who came on to you know, really take defences apart as they were starting to get those tiring legs. And he was so effective in those periods of the game. Now we're in a position where he has to start just so we can get a team out. And we haven't mm. really got anyone of that calibre to come on in his stead. Well, next week we'll be putting uh, after the transfer window shuts on Tuesday. So we'll be talking about our three or four new signings uh, then. You can look forward <laughs> to that. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be asking more surreal questions um, as well uh, <laughs> um, this is Handbrake Off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. Let's talk about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and what now. James, you wrote a piece for The Athletic uh, about Oba and... Um, as Amy mentioned in the press conference, Mikel Arteta doesn't know if he's coming with the squad. I mean, that's very telling, isn't it? That your your main striker, your most expensive player uh, on the highest wages, doesn't know if he's coming along on on what will be a, a quite intensive um, training. Uh, obviously, they're going to get rest as well. Um, should Mikel Arteta, especially if we don't get a striker in, should he try and rebuild that relationship? Is it rebuildable, if that's a word? You'd like to think so, but I have to say, I, I don't think this could be fully put down to the manager. I mean, I think clearly there are two sides to this. It was interesting over the weekend, there were more reports from France in L'Equipe about uh, Aubameyang potentially being sent home from the Gabon international squad on disciplinary grounds rather than health grounds. I mean, that's we, a very murky situation. With He a denies He denies all that, doesn't he? He does indeed. He does indeed. But the, there's been a lack of communication and clarity between Gabon and Arsenal. So I think it's inevitable that there are some lingering questions there. And as I say, there have been these recent reports in France to that effect. Um, I, I think it's a really puzzling one. Part of me wonders, and this is pure speculation, if in a way, although it hasn't suited us on the field in January, 
not having a Bamiyang around available for selection has kind of suited Arteta's purposes in a way because it's sort of strengthened the case for a new forward. Um, when that January window closes, everything changes. You know, you, you have what you have until the end of the season. Mm. And I do wonder if a degree of pragmatism may be required at that point. I mean, ultimately, if you're asking me, with absolute respect to Eddie, would I rather it was Aubameyang coming on for the last 20 minutes, nick a winner? It's a very clear answer from me there. And I think Lacazette has done really well in the centre-forward position. I think there, And I think, funnily enough, yesterday he got into shooting positions better than he usually does. The problem was he didn't actually take them when he arrived there. There's no doubt that Aubameyang is the best finisher, I think, that we have among our forwards available and that he can make a big contribution I am doubtful about Arsenal's capacity to sign a centre-forward of the calibre that they would want or that they would need in what remains of the window. And I think if that happens, I think you have to make it up with Aubameyang. I can't I can't see an, another way. I, I'm not saying I think that will happen because who can be sure? We don't know the interpersonal dynamics. There's precedent for Mikel Arteta drawing a line under players' Arsenal career and that being that. But... This case, it feels like there is a real need for him. And so if we don't get somebody in, I hope that is what happens. I hope there is uh, some peace brokered, even if it's just until the end of the season. Amy? Does, does it bother you, James, that like prior to this situation, Ober wasn't exactly at his um, liveliest in front of goal? He, mm. he looked quite troubled. He hasn't got bags of goals this season in the first half of the campaign before this situation started. He looked like he was carrying a lot of pressure. Um, maybe wasn't entirely fit all the time with um, remnants of COVID or whatever. Does that bother you? Even taking into account this, you know, might yeah. be this desperate need to get him Definitely back. Definitely it does. I mean, he's had, in the past 12 months, he's had malaria. He's had COVID twice. He's had off-field problems. We've spoken many times about disciplinary ones, but family issues, health issues in his family. So he's had a really torrid time. I think even his harshest critics would have to admit that. And who knows what Aubameyang we would be getting back. I mean, the African Cup of Nations were supposed to be some respite for him and it was anything but. So it's not an ideal solution. I don't think it's quite the same as, as porting in the Aubameyang we signed in, in 2018. Uh, it may just be the best option that's ultimately available to us. But it's interesting, in my dialogue with fans, plenty of people have said, let him go. You know, if there's offers on the table, let him go, whatever the consequences. Um, I think a lot of fans are so frustrated by his performances of late that they're kind of willing to cut the ties, uh, whatever the consequences. Amy, isn't there also the, the factor that the way that Arsenal are playing at the moment it requires a, a centre-forward who can play with their back to goal and you wouldn't say Aubameyang is that guy. Yeah, although the only thing I would say to counterbalance that is that when the sort of youngsters, when Smith-Rowe first came into the team and Saka uh, and Erdegaard were, you know, first... Well, Saka was already established and Erdegaard came in. There was a period uh, last season where Aubameyang was scoring liberally, almost liberated by having these young runners uh, full of enthusiasm and, and boldness and um, audacity kind of buzzing around him. And there was this kind of month or so where it really worked. 
Now, subsequently, it's not, you know, things have slightly changed and the dynamics of how way the team are playing is shifted. But there is precedent that it, you know, it can work. It doesn't have to be asking Aubameyang to fulfil a role that he's not particularly comfortable doing. I mean, he's never going to be the the guy who's the optimum choice to be playing with, you know, back to goal, linking up, holding up play. But I think at his best, he's a world-class player. He's a proven goal machine when things are going for him. And he's not like, it's not like he cannot, he's a a guy who plays in isolation and, and doesn't connect with other players around him. But it's just about whether you can somehow spirit back that iteration of Aubameyang and for all sorts of reasons that that looks not that likely. One more question, James. I mean, you're saying that if we don't get a striker in, it would be in the club's best interests. I'm basically, I'm paraphrasing here to yeah. get, to get Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang or for Mikel Arteta to sort of bring him back into the fold. But do you not think that Mikel Arteta might think that if he, if he does do that, that it leaves the door open to a certain extent for other disciplinary issues because he's not like he's done with like he's done with Guendouzi and like he's done with Mesut Ozil. He's just gone. No, that's the end of our relationship, and that's it. And he might feel like he's crossing the line. I, I'm I'm just putting this out there. No, I think that's a good point, and I think I think that's why this is such a difficult situation, and why the optimal outcome is that Arsenal sign a new centre forward. Um, I think that would be the best thing by far. I just think when you look at the time that's available, when you look at the difficulty in landing the different targets we've discussed that Arsenal have uh, in that position, I guess I'm just worried that that's not going to happen. And then I look at the options available and think, maybe you have to be pragmatic. Maybe you have to put what happens on the pitch first uh, to help Arsenal get over the line. So that you can, you've got the budget and uh, everything else required to land those targets in the summer. But it, I don't deny that it is a complex one, and there also are elements of this story that are sort of shrouded in mystery that we don't fully know all the details of. So it's it's very difficult to unpick. Sat right here, Amy. I also think you know James alluded to this before, but it's not just down to Mikel Arteta. He might want to have a rapprochement, but. Aubameyang might not. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think he has been really disappointed and hurt and frustrated by, I think, what he perceives as a punishment that maybe was harsher than befitted the crime. Um, so I think there is a there is a big disagreement on both sides that would need meeting in the middle. And I think, I don't know whether there's an olive branch sort of uh, fruity enough uh, or thick enough to um, to do that. But, uh, you know, if the situation demands it, I really hope that, that, that they can work it out. Bit of sunshine, bit of warm winter weather. They'll be all right. Everyone will be happier. Cocktails by the pool in Dubai. They'll be fine. <laughs> and the shot finds the back of the net. Arsenal have saved it. And it's Tobin Heath. Okay, let's have a little chat about the Arsenal women. Uh, Flo Lloyd-Hughes joins us. Uh, Good morning, Flo. Morning, guys. Morning. Um, 
five defeats in seven games in all competitions. Um, knocked out of a cup competition. They got to the semi-finals of eight out of the ten years it's existed and lost to a team in the league that hadn't won in the entirety of 2021. You need to perk us up a little bit, Flo. We got a 1-1 draw yesterday uh, and City's goal probably shouldn't have stood. Are things moving back in the right direction now or are there still issues? No, I think they are moving in the right direction. I think yesterday's point was huge just because of the manner in which they managed to rescue that game. Um, it's been a really rough few weeks, but to score very late on, to to see a player like Tobin Heath who has been out for a long time and obviously arrived with a big name and, and, and probably hasn't necessarily lived up to that and probably won't be here beyond the season. So probably needed a moment like that to make her stay at Arsenal worthwhile or memorable. So I think that was a big moment. And also it does still keep the title hopes alive. Um, it's, it was a brilliant result for Chelsea, to be honest, because both City and Arsenal drawing sort of takes the pressure on them, chasing them a little bit, and they drew nil-nil yesterday. So it wasn't really great for anyone involved in that title race, but for Arsenal, I think it does just give them a chance to reset after a really difficult couple of weeks. And I think if they'd lost that game last night, it would have been serious questions about what what the future holds for the rest of the season. I, I got in, I actually, I went to the men's game yesterday and watched uh, the Burnley and I was sort of pretty frustrated after that. And I came back and I saw that the game, the Arsenal, late, uh, Arsenal women's game was on and I turned it on. It all looked a bit moody, to be honest with you. Would that be a fair summation of the mood, if you like, in the last few weeks? Yeah, I would say moody is what the, the squad's felt like for probably about a month now. Um the way I sort of best described it, and I feel like I just keep repeating myself in every piece I write about them, but it's just so disjointed at the moment. A lot of frustration. I think within the first sort of 10 minutes of the game yesterday, you could hear on the pitch side mics, there was a, a pass that Beth Mead played out wide to Katie McCabe and McCabe didn't get there and it went out for a city throw. And you could hear on the mic Beth Mead sort of berating McCabe saying, that was for you, that pass was for you. sort of. And I feel like... Yes, this happens in games between teammates all the time. They're always communicating and there's frustration, but it feels like that moment sort of signified or represented the entire mood around the team for the last couple of weeks. Everyone seems to be very frustrated, kind of a lot of finger pointing, a lot of arms in the air. And I think what that goal last night would have done is maybe bring them together as a team a little bit more. I think they'd sort of separated out as individuals. And Jonas Eideval, after they lost to Birmingham City, which was a huge, embarrassing defeat, to be honest, he, he said himself that they didn't play as a team. And a lot of that he meant sort of tactically, but I think... As a unit, as a cohesive sort of group, they they weren't together in that moment. And I think what last night would have done is perhaps sort of bring them together a little bit more and give them a bit more of a a spirit because I think they were they were lacking a lot of that in the last couple of games. And the manager's feeling it as well, isn't he? Uh, Jonas Ardevel, um he got in Martha Thomas's face during the game against uh, United, and then again uh, yesterday got a yellow card. Um, that I mean, those last-minute goals can make a huge difference, and I guess we're all hopeful that that's going to it's going to turn things around a little bit for them. Yeah, I think it's good to to see a manager have passion in those moments, and I suppose in the in the situation against United, he was kind of 
you know, supporting his player. Um, Beth Mead had a high challenge on her from Martha Thomas and he was backing his, his corner, you know, and, and trying to fight for his player. So I think I think the squad will appreciate that 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 passion. Um yeah. He's he's an interesting character. He's a funny guy. Like he, he he's a very good coach, clearly, and he knows what he's doing. He he loves talking about the game, and he always has a plan for a match. But I almost think he's one of those coaches that perhaps plans a little bit too much. I think he's a bit of an overthinker, um, and I think maybe we we saw that in the FA Cup final when they lost to Chelsea. Definitely, he 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 tried to be too clever. I think with the way that Arsenal played, and I think we've seen that in the games against Bar- in the first game, especially against Barcelona. So I think. I think there's there's green shoots there, but with the squad that Arsenal have got this season, with the advantage they almost had in this title race at one point, yes. to now be in the position that they are, it is very disappointing. Being funny and overthinker, I can definitely get behind that. Um, <laughs> Stina Blackstenius, right? She's been bought in. Uh, is she a replacement for Viv um, Viv Miedema? I mean, I, I, I guess first I started watching the women's game a couple of years ago and Viv Miedemite, you just watched her and went, wow, what a player. Why, why has it come to this point? Is she going to leave? Yeah, it's not looking great um, in that respect. I think the Blackstenius transfer does hint at the fact that she may be heading out in the summer. The women's game as a whole, you don't get massively long contracts, but that has certainly shifted in the WSL over the last couple of seasons. Traditionally, Leon were the only team that used to throw out sort of three, four-year contracts. They had the most money, but over the last couple of seasons, we've seen clubs like United, Chelsea, City, really, really throw money at their players. And if they've got a big talent, secure them for an extra two, three, four years. But Arsenal haven't managed to do that with some of their biggest names. Leah Williamson did just sign a new contract, but the club were very secretive about how long it is and said, oh, well... You know, quotes about long-term future in the release would make you, you know, suggest that it's a long-term deal. But it could only be a year. She only just signed a one-year contract last season. But I imagine it might be two years. But with Vivian Miedemar, they haven't managed to get her to sign a new contract. So her contract does expire this summer. And there aren't huge fees in the women's game. But to have a player like her, one of the best players in the world, potentially leaving for a free in the summer, would be a really, really big mistake for Arsenal. So... It seems like she might be heading to play in Europe um, and Blackstenius might be her replacement, which is, I think, disappointing, but it's not necessarily surprising because she said herself that she wants to win trophies. Um, And for Arsenal women who, you know, listeners will know, have won every single trophy you can in the women's game, to now be about two and a half seasons without having won anything is is not good enough. It's, It's it's just not good enough. So I think she's probably realising that perhaps to win the biggest prizes, she'll need to head to a Barcelona or a Lyon or perhaps even like a PSG. Slightly depressing point to leave it there. But <laughs> thanks, Flo. Uh, Brighton Brighton on uh, Thursday. Home or away? Is it Brighton home or away? It's, uh, it's at home on Thursday. Brighton at home on Thursday. They just drew naught naught with Chelsea, so they are not going to be a pushover. Uh, thanks, Flo. Thanks very much for joining us. Cheers, guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, we shall do a song each. Do a song. We're not going to perform the song. We shall choose a song each. Don't tempt me. You're in a singing mood, Amy. How are you? Well, <laughs> all right, Amy. We'll uh, uh, we'll come to you first. Let's have a song to reflect a naught naught draw at home to Burnley, shall we? <laughs> well, I think I'm thinking a bit more globally than that, and just about uh, you know the themes of this pod. Will Arsenal get a striker? Will they make up with uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang? And I've gone for a song that I absolutely loved when it came out in the early 80s for various reasons. Um, China Crisis and Wishful Thinking. Now, I don't know, China Crisis, they, I think they did have a bit more... Uh, uh, success than I remember but they did feel a bit like a one-hit wonder with with that song that sort of came from nowhere and I really loved it because it had an oboe in it and oboe is not traditionally an instrument that you find an awful lot in pop music and uh, at the time back in 1983 I was a, 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 a young oboist and was completely beside myself to see someone playing the oboe on top of the pops um and I re- realised that there was hope and that I, you know, somehow in my future life, obviously it didn't work out this way, but could actually be in a band with my oboe, which probably sounds a bit weird today, but there you go. I love that song. So what's the thing from China Crisis? It's a beautiful riff on the oboe that you don't hear that kind of thing a lot outside the orchestra. <laughs> Play a bit. Oboe in a band. That's second only to jazz flute. As far as I'm concerned. Well, actually, there's more oboe than you think. I mean, Roxy Music, Japan. McCann is a wonderful musician who played fretless bass and oboe, amongst other things. He was a bit of a hero. Um, it's not It's not never, but it's it's not the most common. Is the oboe the upright clarinet, essentially? Is it aye, aye, aye. Of... Be careful now. You're going to insult a lot of double <laughs> oh, reed fans here. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking yeah. about the shape, really. Yeah, well, the yeah. shape of it, it's, it's actually a sort of slightly smaller and slimmer version of something like a, a clarinet, but they have the, this double reed that goes in at the top rather than uh, the kind of reed being attached to a plastic mouthpiece that you get on the clarinet. And it makes an infinitely superior sound. I mean, honestly, there are 30,000 or whatever we get listeners open-mouthed <laughs> at this point about the thought well, of I'm Amy Lawrence, like... young oboist. I, I just, it's beautiful. And I, I want to say, uh, well... You started it. You started I did. it with, I a, did. with a surreal kind of like, <laughs> would you would you rather play the oboe or go on a holiday? I mean, you oh, know. Go on holiday for a week. Yeah, yeah. like that kind of mood. Uh, James, anything with a sort of mini harp or something, perhaps? <laughs> I've just desperately been trying to figure out a way to crowbar in Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, but it's <laughs> so well, there you go. What have you got it. for us, James? I, I, well, I was thinking about you know, will Arsenal sign a striker? Will Arteta and Oba kiss and make up? And I went for, well, I went for. I hope Arsenal do the right thing. Uh, and I'm sure we all remember from 1993, Do the Right Thing by one of the great goal scorers in Arsenal's history, Ian Wright. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he'll thank us for referencing I that, that. track. 
Yeah. Uh, now, I remember back in the days when I was a young ballet dancer and uh, it was a, a very, very lovely time for me. Um, I um, I saw Mick Jagger in the street uh, uh, a few weeks ago. I, I just sort of saw him. I walked past it. I thought, oh, that's Mick Jagger looking about 120 years old, I'll be honest with you. Uh, and I was thinking about him and I thought, I can't get no satisfaction, which is what I felt yesterday. Really, uh, drawing not not home to Burnley, especially having Sean Dyche and Ian Wone celebrating in front of us at the end was really upsetting to me. To be honest with you, uh, if you want to see a selection of male pattern baldness <laughs> standing in front of us at the end as well, you'd see it there. Uh, so I'm going for I can't get no satisfa- uh, satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Um, that's it. For the Handbrake Off podcast, thank you to Abby, our producer. Thanks to James and Amy. Lovely to speak to you. And thanks to you, listeners. Um, Back after the transfer window slams shut. So see you next Tuesday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.